Hey everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Tuesday. Hopefully you guys enjoyed your weekend, spending time with your family, friends, watching the Oscars. Who knows? We'll obviously get into it. There's a little bit of news that we can get into uh, for today's podcast. We can discuss Bill Maher praising pre- uh, Mayor, or not Mayor, President uh, Vladimir Zelensky and just his overall thoughts on toxic masculinity and how it's a little bit important to have it, but whatever, that's Bill Maher for you. We can also discuss uh, the Oscars going woke uh, with Amy Schumer, Regina Hall, Regina, uh, certain individuals that are presenting the awards and whatnot, and just how they made the Oscars what it was, which is make it a circle jerk, essentially. Uh, we can also get into news within the tennis world, which is Andre Rublev, Miami Open loss, and how it'll affect the clay season, as well as my weekly pick, which will be not a comedy special. Uh, it will not be a comedy special. Uh, but we'll start off for today will be the most important news probably in the past 24 hours or so. You probably heard about it. Um, between two individuals, uh, you know, some altercation happened. And it's very, very important to hear. Uh, tennis altercation, if you will. Andrew Ublev lost at the Miami Open. And he lost on Friday to Nick Kyrgios, 6-3, 6-love in straight sets on Friday. It was obviously a match that got me quite sad, if you will. Uh, it was not one of those matches where I felt any sort of interest throughout the entire runtime. Because once Nick Kyrgios went up the board... He sort of ran away with it. And that was not only evident in that first set, but also in that second set. Nick Kyrgios, you got to give him his credit. I mean, he played exceptionally well. He's still in the tournament as of right now. I'm following this on a Monday. And he really did do great in this in this match. You know, he only allowed Rublev to win three games and two sets. Um, it definitely felt like Andre Rublev phoned it in in that second set. It felt as if Andre Rublev knew he was going to lose and proceeded to act accordingly to that measure. And as a result, you see, you see Nick Kyrgios now continuing to continue to do well at the Miami Open. And as a result, I, it's one of his better tournaments that he's been in. And I think you got to give him credit for that. Now, the overall question that arises from this instance and from this incident with Nick Kyrgios winning against Andre Rublev is will Andre Rublev's loss to Nick Kyrgios affect his clay season chances? And I sort of want to break this down into very sort of uh, key details, but overall, I don't think so, right? I think when you look at Andre Rublev's career, he does really well in the beginning of the year, and then he sort of tapers off at the end. And we saw that last year, he won Rotterdam final, and he reached the Monte Carlo final as well. In this year, I feel like he's on a similar trajectory, right? He won Open 13 Province title. He also won the Dubai Tennis Championships, all in the span of seven days. He won two titles in the span of seven days, which is unfathomable. That's so different from what we've been seeing from other tennis players. But as we've seen from him last year, I do think that at some point he might just taper off. And who knows, it might be 
in the summertime. It might be at the fall time. Who knows? It might be during the grass season. It might be during the U.S. Open season. But at some point, I do think he will. I, I won't say he would regress, but I do think he's not going to play as great of tennis as we've seen from him in February. But in terms of how this will affect his clay season chances, I don't think that will be the case whatsoever. I do think that he will have a very similar result as to what he had last year, which is reach the final of some ATP 1000 tournament and maybe win it. I do think he has the ability to win it, uh, but I do think we'll see a very similar result as to what we've seen last year. Now, as a person that really likes Andre Rublev, hopefully that's not the case. You know, I do want to see him win and hoist that trophy sooner than later, but I do think that he is on par and on course to have a very similar result as to what, as to what happened last year, and that is to reach an ATP 1000 final and can po- quite possibly win it, but I do think he will at some point or another reach the ATP 1000 final. And for me personally, I do think it might be Monte Carlo, but you can't rule out the Madrid Open, you can't rule out the Italian Open, and you can't rule out those tournaments that we've been accustomed to hearing uh, that have been affiliated with the ATP 1000 moniker, if you will. So do I think this loss will affect his clay season chances? No, but keep in mind how these losses, just, just keep a note of these losses in general, because I do think that if he's going to lose at some point or another, we may have to look back at this Miami Open loss. We may have to look back at this Indian Wells loss and sort of look at it and say, okay, the, those early round exits definitely did give some form of indication as to how he did lose. So obviously, I don't think you should put too much stock into it. I don't, but I do think that this loss will, I don't think it will affect him in any way, shape, or form. But if he were to lose, uh, it, you should look at these early round exits at Indian Wells and at the Miami Open as indicators as to what truly transpired if he happened to lose at these ATP 1000 tournaments within the clay season. That's what it boils down to at the end of the day. And, you know, hopefully we're able to see more uh, interesting matches from Andre Rulev because personally, I do think he's good for the sport of tennis. You know, I do think, you know, he has that factor where you, when you look at him, your eyes, you, you can't be fixated on anything else. You know, he's one of those individuals where, you know, he's very calm and serene on the, at the baseline, but he's able to bring the fire, you know, he's able, he's able to uh, change the pace of the ball, change the tempo of it, be able to, again, focus on hitting for, for, for perfection. However you may see fit, I do think that the way that he's able to maneuver on the court, the way that he's able to get in line and, you know, hit key, ba- uh, key baseline shots, both from his forehand and backhand for winners, is something that is so different from what we've been accustomed to be seeing from the ATP. So I do think that at some point or another, Andre Rublev can win an ATP 1000 tournament. But it, it all depends as to his own mentality, whether or not he's able to really play to the best of his ability and not just phone it in like we saw against Kyrgios. You know, all of that remains to be seen, and, and hopefully we're able to see that in the not-so-distant future. You know, again, you know, when you, th- when you think of the next-gen players, you know, it's very important that we understand that, you know, these next-gen players are not going to be the big three. You know, it's, it's impossible. It's mentally impossible to think that. You know, the idea that any of these players can win 20 majors or even half of that in their career, I think that's wishful thinking. So we have to be more realistic when it comes to their likelihood of not only winning, but the timetable as to when they're going to win. You know, and 
it, it, that's obviously not the best advice for people to hear. You know, I know the the consensus the consensus is okay. This next gen or this current gen has to compete for titles as in the same vein as as Nadal, Joker, and Federer. But I just don't think that's the, the case. I don't. I mean, Zverev has zero Grand Slams won. You know, Sitsipas has zero Grand Slams won. The only two individuals who have won Grand Slams are Daniil Medvedev and Dominic Team. And based off Dominic Team's wrist injuries and other injuries that uh, have sort of offset him from being able to win, I don't think we'll ever see Dominic Team reach that precipice in his career uh, ever again. So again, I do think it's very important to be realistic, but also to be mindful and cognizant that, you know, the big three will never happen in tennis again. And tennis must do its best to really reach the casual. And, you know, I, I often discuss that, you know, how tennis should reach the casual uh, last year a lot during my podcast. I've sort of, I haven't really discussed it that much because it's best to just focus on the tennis and to focus on, on that, not so much on how tennis itself can get more younger casual people to watch it. Uh, that's not my job to do that. It's it's my job to just discuss it to the best of my ability and to make it entertaining and lighthearted and engaging. That's what really matters to me. And if people have fun with it, that's great. Uh, but yes, you know, when, when you discuss tennis, and I'll just briefly discuss, you know, tennis in terms of getting the casual sport, you know, the UFC does a great job at it. You know, they know how to get, you know, people to be invested in the McGregor's of the world with the Nate Diaz's of the world, even though those two individuals, those two fighters are at the twilight, twilight of their careers, you know, they're still able to get fan interaction and audience engagement through having those two fighters, whether it's Jorge Masvidal or, you know, any of these individuals, Donald Cerrone, you know, the UFC does a great job in marketing these fights and getting people invested in these fighters. And if tennis was just able to rip a page out of their notebook and sort of incorporate that style into their marketability or into their ability to get more people invested in their product, I think you'll see a much better product on field, on court. Uh, now, obviously, this is a bit of a departure from what I've been discussing about Andre Rublev, but I do think that this sort of goes hand in hand with Andre Rublev, with you know these younger stars being acclimated and winning these ATP 1000 tournaments. You know, at some point or another, these individuals the Nadals, the Federers, the, the Djokovic's will retire. And it's very, very important for tennis fans to be in line and to be invested with these tennis stars. And if they're able to do that through through them having a great sort of sense of style and play on court, then I think that will make all the difference in the world. So yeah, that's just my overall uh, thoughts and opinions on Andre Rublev and... And uh, Nick Kyrgios, his loss Nick Kyrgios and his overall stance and uh, his overall playing uh, within the uh, clay season, if you will. You know, I mean, it's one of those things where I really love love Andre Ulov. You know, I mean, he's a dude that, you know, you just can't keep your eyes off of. You know, and I'm sure many women will attest to that. Uh, You know, he is a very... You know, he's very easy on the eyes for a lot of women. So it's he has that sort of Sean White kind of look to him. You know, if you if I can sort of draw a comparison like early Sean White. But if he wasn't like a redhead, I don't I don't think Sean White's a redhead, but he definitely did have that look in like the like the late 2000s. But yeah, I mean, Andre Love, very good dude, you know, a person that, you know, has the chance to sort of get people 
in line with with tennis and i think you know that's very admirable but again with that comes great responsibility and if he's not able to bring in this clay season then it's going to be tough for him to really squeak by with a major and i think that's this clay season keep an eye out and examine andre loves andre loves play because i do think this will sort of foresee him being able to compete for the for the major for majors if you will all right let's get into our next bit of discussion here uh shall we uh this really rocked twitter last night and i think it's very very important that i at least discuss it uh will smith and i'll say that again will smith slapped chris rock at the oscars i was shocked when i saw this i saw this late last night and i it was it really really shocked me so if you guys didn't watch chris rock basically decided to present the award for best documentary of the oscars he made some jokes as you should as a comedian you know it's your right as a comedian to make jokes especially when you're at the oscars when everything's about glitz and glamour it's very very important to make fun of the people there because you have to humanize them you know it's very very important to make fun of the people there he made fun of javier bardem and penelope cruz and they liked they loved it you know you got to give credit where credit is due uh, Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz, they're great sports. They love the jokes. They roll with the punches. Great. Then he makes fun of Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. And Jada Pinkett Smith, who was there, she had a shaved head. You know, she was dealing with alopecia and whatnot. She currently is dealing with alopecia. So basically, Chris Rock makes fun of Jada Pinkett Smith, saying that she should be in G.I. Jane. And you just saw a cut to Will Smith laughing and Jada Pinkett Smith sort of laughing, sort of shrugging it off, but overall just giving this devil look to Chris Rock. And as a result, what happened essentially was that, and this wasn't picked up on the American television side, but with the Australian and Japanese side and many other markets as well, you just saw Will Smith go for a beeline straight to Chris Rock and basically just slap him right in the face and just walked off from the camera and back to his seat. And Chris Walk was like like perplexed as to what happened. And he sort of asked Will Smith what why he did that. And Will Smith was like, keep my wife's name out of your effing mouth. Not once, but twice. And everybody thought at the moment that it was staged at you know the Oscars. But at, when he said it again, there was like a pitch drop silence. There, like it, it was the the tension in that room was so palpable it was i've never seen it like that at all but you have to give credit to chris rock he was able to roll with the punches he was able to transition it out of it and go into making some more jokes and whatnot and decided to present the award for best documentary and this is the thing with all this i do think this is real i think this is real this has to be real because first and foremost there has been history between Jada Pinkett Smith and Chris Rock, right? Six, seven years ago, there was that whole Oscar so white trend where they only nominated white people and Chris Rock was hosting it. And he went after Jada Pinkett Smith saying, hey, you know, you're saying you're boycotting the Oscars. You weren't invited. And he sort of made a quip about it and made some jokes about it. And it was hilarious. I loved it. You know, Chris Rock is a great comedian, great stand-up comedian. And he really brought his A-game during not only yesterday for the Oscars, but also six, seven years ago when he was going after Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith for boycotting the Oscars. So they have that history, right? That's obviously one thing. Also, more importantly, the Oscars can be descriptive. 
right? The Oscars is all about class. It's all about honor. It's all about respect and dignity. It's very buttoned up. It's a very buttoned up event compared to that of the VMAs or Grammys. So the Oscars, this can't be scripted at all. This can't be scripted whatsoever. And more importantly, Will Smith has been prolific and more, more importantly, has been known for not swearing. Right. If you look at, you know, his Fresh Prince of Bel-Air sitcom to his rap career, he has taken pride in not swearing. And this is one of those instances where Will Smith swore. And to see it play on national television, first and foremost, you got to give Chris Rock his credit. You know, he was able to roll with the punches. But more importantly, this gives Will Smith an entirely different light. And I just don't like it. I just don't think this is good at all. I mean, how, how if you're within Will Smith's camp, how can you look at this and say, wow, this made this person more likable? How? How is that possible? You know, like, how is this possible? How is that possible to think that? You know, if, if I'm in Will Smith's camp, I'll be like, dude, you have to you have to go out there and prove to people that you can take jokes and more importantly, normalize yourself in front of people, because this is this is your moment where now people look at you differently. Like, this is your heel moment. This is, you know, Shawn Michaels, you know, at Montreal, you know, having Brett the Hitman Hearts theme and, you know, telling Montreal, who's your daddy? Like, this is up there. Like, this is up there with that moment. You know, like, that's, this is what it has come to with Will Smith. And, again, you have to give Chris Rock his credit because as a comedian, you should make jokes. You should. It's your right to make jokes. If you're a comedian at a glitzy glamorous event like the oscars and if you want to bring them down to our level you know normal plebeians level you got to make fun of them you have to it's your right you know he did nothing wrong chris rock did nothing wrong in this in, in this entire event so i for one am supportive of chris rock i think this is sad by will smith and more importantly i think what happened with will smith right right after because he was it was his night you know he was going to win best actor the the change within Will Smith as soon as he won Best Actor, it was maniacal. Like, I've never seen that before. Going from, you know, hostile and slapping and physically assaulting individuals to then being so heartfelt, it very felt, it felt very sort of like, I mean, it felt like a serial killer vibe to him. Like, there was a, there was a serial killer vibe within Will Smith. Like, I'm being very honest with that. And to see him sort of, you know, win that award and, and act as if he's like this caring individual after what we just saw. And then seeing Hollywood just stand up and, and like give a standing O to Will Smith after winning, despite slapping Chris Rock. I was like, do you do you understand why nobody likes you? Like, if like understand this, this is the reason why nobody likes Hollywood. This, because you are so two-faced. You, you care one per, one at one point for one person. And then at the next have zero sympathy for that individual and then all the care in the world for that person that just perpetrated that violence. You know, like, honestly, like, like this is, it, it's sad. It really is sad to see this. And, I mean, if I'm Will Smith, I would do anything in my power to make sure people like me because at this point, people are really seeing his true colors and it's shining through. Uh, so, yes, uh, Chris Rock, he was able to take on the chin, quite literally, uh, no pun intended, but uh, yes, if you're a comedian, you should make fun of people. You know, it's your right. It's it's your right to make fun of things about anything and everything. I say this as a comedian. You know, if you're a comedian, you should make fun of, of things. You know, in right now, I think Chris Rock is completely in the right. Will Smith is completely in the wrong. And Will Smith mu must 
do something to make sure that people view him differently and view him more positively, if you will. And hopefully this incident really marked that within Will Smith. And hopefully we're able to see Will Smith and Chris Rock have fun. But I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, to be quite honest with you. But yeah, I mean, when I watched this, I was like, my entire plot process was like, oh man, what? just imagine if Jesse Smollett was pre- presenting it or hosting it. Like, just imagine if Will Smith went up there and slapped Jesse Smollett. Like, not only would that be funny, but then Justin Smollett would actually have something for him justifying a hate crime. Like, that would be so hilarious to see if, like, Will Smith walked up to the to Jesse Smollett and just slapped him. Like, that would actually, like, I don't actually understand where Jesse Smollett was coming from, honestly. Like, if that's what truly happened, oh, man, that would be amazing to see, to witness, to to. I mean, it was also quite amazing to see and witness what just happened at the Oscars. But again, to see that, oh man, I would love it. Oh God, that would be amazing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, it just shows that black on black black crime is not something to make fun of. You know, it's not something to make light of. You know, uh, I'm kidding. Obviously, it's jokes, jokes, people. It's all jokes. But yes, uh, it, this is this is something that you know, obviously, people are talking about. And, uh, you know, I, I felt it was quite, quite interesting because when you see, you know, the gay rumors, I mean, Will Smith really shut down those great gay rumors after slapping Chris Rock. Oh my God. I mean, he, I mean, nobody can call Will Smith gay after this at all, uh, at all. Uh, but more importantly, I felt like Will Smith was on the precipice of just blowing up. You know, like, I mean, for the past few years, people have been calling Will Smith, you know, uh, a cuck, if you will, for uh, for allowing Jada Pinkett Smith to cheat on him, to be in an open relationship. You know, there's been news about the marriage being on the rocks, you know, so he had to boil at some point or another. And this was his chance to, you know, really stick to people. And this is what happened, you know, and honestly, like, I knew this was going to happen. I knew Will, I knew there was some sort of maniacal maniac within will smith and i'm happy it happened on the biggest night you know because even though this was his biggest night even though this was the moment that he's been bracing himself for for the past 20 30 or so years ever since he joined shows show business this was also one of the worst nights of his life as well and that this will be forever etched into people's memory of will smith you know it will not be bright it will not be fresh prince it will not be wild wild west it will not be you know, him doing Pursuit of Happiness or even him doing After Earth. You know, this will be the story of Will Smith's career. You know, and th- this is a person that is a is a psychopath. He's a sociopath. And we saw in full display Oscar Sunday. Like, this is a man who I view as, like, Patrick Bateman, but for, like, black people. Like, this is what I... Like, when I think of Patrick Bateman, like, like this, like he has all the signs of a serial killer. Like, he really does. Maybe he he deals with bipolar disorder. I kind of do think he, he is mentally ill in some way, shape, or form. I don't want to diagnose him, you know, so much. I've already done that for the past nine or so minutes, but... You know, when I see him, I'm like, okay, like, this man, it, he's not mentally well. Like, he talks a lot about therapy, you know, he's trying to endear himself with the average person, but this man is clearly not mentally well, he clearly needs to have some form of psychosis done on him, he needs some diagnosis on him, he needs to uh, understand that he does have some form of multi-personality disorder, bipolar disorder, 
he he shows all the signs of that honestly um and he needs to deal with it you know and and you know this again as i've said before this will be what people remember him it will not be any of his roles it will not be him doing you know wild wild west or pursuit of happiness or irobot i think it was an irobot i don't know i i i think so uh this will be his enduring legacy not men in black not his instagram or his you know twitter or or his youtube channel this will be his legacy and that's something that he has to come to grips with you know and he can change but overall this will be his lasting legacy is him slapping a comedian on a fabricated event which is the oscars and it's sad it really is sad but yeah i mean if this was jesse smollett i think people will like it honestly and more importantly he would actually have a justifiable hate crime on him if just if jesse smollett was actually like not like giving out the award for best documentary like he would actually have the case for this being a, a hate crime you know like like honestly uh yeah but yes uh this is this is this is interesting man this is very very interesting to see i'm not surprised whatsoever but because this is this is this was to be expected you know this was to be expected that at some point will smith would blow up and this is just what he did and it is very sad to see very very sad to see uh this go down but overall he gave us something to talk about you know, he gave us something to talk about, and uh, you got to give it where credit is due. You know, because let's be honest with you, the Oscars was a bore fest. It was a bunch of virtue signaling, and more importantly, a uh, bunch of people that I truly have no respect for just getting awards and whatnot. So, yeah, that that was the Oscars. And as I mentioned, uh, the Oscars they won woke. They won woke, guys. Um, you know, I'm just getting this. Uh, from the New York Post, uh, Oscar so woke, Mila Kunis, Ukrainian moment of silence, and stars political statements. Uh, and I'm just getting this from the New York Post, so bear with me here. Hollywood's biggest night quickly turned into Hollywood's biggest political campaign. Oscars 22 co-host, 2022 co-host Amy Schumer, Regina Hall, and Wanda Sykes started off the three-hour telecast. Three hours? Oh my God, that's a tennis match. Uh, with jokes about de- gender discrimination, diversity, political divisions, and homophobia. This year, the Academy hired three women to host because it's cheaper than hiring one man. Schumer equipped as the comedians welcome viewers. Gender pay gap joke. I don't know why she's making fun of, why she's talking about that. I mean, she makes a lot of money for a comedian that's so unfunny. Uh, yeah, I mean, Schumer makes a lot of money. Uh, look at the Forbes size paid comedians list. She's in the top 10. Uh, but yes, she says that it's easier for three women to get hired than one man because it's cheaper. Sykes, uh, Wanda Sykes, not Sykes like psychology, but Wanda Sykes, uh, took then took a shot at Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell with a joke about toxic masculinity before she and Hall ganged up on, again, against Schumer to block her from black Twitter. The trio ended the opening monologue with three women chanting, gay 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 because gay if you don't know it represents each and every hour of the oscar so one gay for the first hour second gay for the second hour third gay for the uh, third hour because it just got progressively gayer uh, as the night went on but yeah that's that was what happened again just getting this from the new york post uh, we're going to have a great night and for you folks in florida we're going to have a gay night gay 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 sex cheered again uh in reference to the don't say gay bill 
The actress was referring to Florida's controversial parental rights in education bill, which prohibits lessons about gender or sexuality in school between kindergarten and third grade, which critics refer to as the don't, don't say gay bill. All right. Uh, I don't. I won't get into the don't say gay bill because, I mean, I don't want my child between five and eight to be taught about, like, gender dysphoria and sexuality. I mean... Let the, let the kid be a kid, you know? Let them talk about Bionicle, you know? I mean, when I was a kid, I, I talked about Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon. At no point did I, talk, did I talk about, like, bathrooms and intersectional feminism. Like, I, I did not talk about that. Even to this day, I don't talk about intersectional feminism. Screw inter, inter, intersectional feminism. But if I'm a kid, I'm not talking about gender dysphoria and about uh, sexual fluidity. I'm not talking about that. Why would I? So I don't mind the bill, honestly. Like, it, I mean, teachers should not be forcing, you know, children to talk about these sort of dark and taboo topics at that young of an age. But again, you know, people like to run away with it and sort of add their own culture war stance to it and say, oh, well, if you're against the don't say gay bill, that must mean you hate homophobia. I'm like, no, I'm like, I just don't want my children to, to talk about it, you know, whatever. Like, I don't want children to talk about it. You know, talk about, talk about mechanical toys. You know, talk about music. You know, I mean, talk about, you know, Will Smith's, you know, rap records where he doesn't cuss, you know, that's what I want my children to, to, to talk about. I don't want them to talk about, you know, gender fluidity. I just don't. I just don't. Uh, but yeah, the Oscars went woke. I mean, obviously, Mila Kunis talked about Ukraine, but I mean, I felt like she did it sort of diplomatically, you know, so, you know, obviously, Mila Kunis, she's Ukrainian. I get it. You know, I understand where she's coming from. So that part, I don't really get with. You know, I understand where Mila Kunis is coming from. And uh, yeah, so I get that. But with the Amy Schumer, Wanda Sykes thing, like, I don't know. Was it really that interesting? Like, I, I know they had like a revolving uh, amount of guests and hosts uh, who guest hosted. But again, I mean... If you want more people to watch the Oscars, why did he pick Amy Schumer? Why? Why? You know people have their feelings about her, you know, whether it's positive or negative, uh, more often the latter than the former. But, I mean, if you, want, you, if you want people to come together for one night and celebrate the year in film, have somebody that people like, right? Like, People on Twitter, people on Letterboxd, people in your average middle America like Willem Dafoe. Everybody likes Willem Dafoe. Have Willem Dafoe host. Have Robert Pattinson host. Men love Robert Pattinson. Women love Robert Pattinson. Get some comedy writers. Get some joke writers. You know, hire Nimesh Patel. Hire everybody who has been, you know, writing for the Oscars or are funny. Uh, You know, get them, you know, hire those writers. And, you know, let Robert Pattinson or Willem Dafoe host, you know, let these people that are, you know, universally liked to host the Oscars, you know, don't make the make it so divisive, you know, don't try to interject, you know, wokeism or identity politics through Oscars, you know, it doesn't make any sense, you know, focus on the year in cinema, focus on the year in film, and make the best jokes possible. And who knows, it may it may result in, you know, having an A-list celeb slapping a comedian, who knows, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you get people talking. You know, and, and for that instance, for that moment, they were talking, but for the rest of that three-hour telecast, they weren't, and for good reason as well, because nobody wants to hear Amy Schumer, some privileged person, you know, discuss, you know, gay people, you know, like, we don't, we don't, 
at all. <laughs> you know, uh, I say this as a person that doesn't mind her first comedy album, Cutting. I mean, Cutting. Go listen to that first comedy album. I know people don't like Amy Schumer. I, I mean, I personally have no feelings for her like at all. But I mean, go listen to that, to that first album, Cutting. It's going to surprise you. You'd be surprised. No pun intended, but you'd be surprised by that first album. It's not as bad as people like to admit or people want to say. Obviously, I'm sure Jessel Nick sort of ghost wrote for her and whatnot. But again, that first album, comedy album, Cutting, it's not that bad for a comedy album. No, I mean, there, there have been far worse comedy albums uh, out there. You'd be surprised, by the way. You'd be surprised. No pun intended. You'd be surprised. Uh, but yes, that for, I mean, again, if you want unity don't have these people host like at all like why are you getting amy schumer to host why are you getting these people to host get somebody that's universally liked you know get brad pitt get get tom hanks i know you know people i know it's a running joke the that the oscars want tom hanks to host and you know get get people that are liked that's all that matters get people that are liked or get some no-name person and, and get that person just you know roasting each and every celeb there you know like you have sebastian maniscalco there I know Will Smith is up there. Will Smith, your movies bomb harder than Hiroshima. I mean, uh, I'm sorry. Your your movies bomb harder than than Russia did to Ukraine. You know, that's something that you could do. You know, I mean, not only do you have pop culture in there, you know, not only are you, dis- are you discussing Russia, uh, Russia, Ukraine, but you're also doing it in a funny, tasteful way. You know, I mean, have some joke about it. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it may result in a punch. I mean, I'm sure if it was any other skin color, I'm pretty sure Will Smith would just punch them in the face. But again, that's neither here nor there. I'm just saying what it is. Uh, but yeah, overall, the Oscars, it proves that at the end of the day, they take themselves too seriously. And I just can't really support that. You know, at the end of the day, you know, if you're an award show, you have to realize that nobody really cares about these award, about award shows. You know, I mean, we care about film. You know, don't get me wrong. There are some good films that were nominated nightmare alley licorice pizza go check out pt anderson pt anderson is a genius a literal genius with the camera uh what he's what how he's able to sort of you know put his characters out there and the storytelling that he does through his uh through his uh directing it's unparalleled it's unmatched any person i've seen you know pt anderson is a great director don't get me wrong there are great people that were nominated i i like some of the people that were nominated you know, but again, it's just the awards show just takes themselves way too seriously. And it's just way, it's just too much. It's just, I just can't handle it. You know, we should be watching these award shows as a, as a distraction from the real world. We don't want to watch these award shows as, as to be reminded of that. And hopefully the Oscars are able to learn from that. I don't think so. I mean, for the past five or six years, it's just been ever since Trump was nominated or Trump announced his presidency, it was basically them going woke. And, I don't know why that was the case. I, I don't know why, but that's what it comes down to. Honestly, just had Ricky Gervais there. R- have Ricky Gervais host the Oscars. I know that it's very buttoned up. You know, and I'm not, I'm one to talk. Honestly, uh, if you're watching the video, you know I wear a suit. But again, have Ricky Gervais host. You know, have these individuals that are very funny host it. Uh, because at the, end, at, at the end of the day, you want these people to be normalized. You know, you want these, uh, you know, Celeste normalized because it's going to be tough. It, it's tough. It's tough to really familiarize with these celebrities. You know, most of these celebrities are literal psychopaths. 
they are literal walking and talking serial killers that will kill another person if it means getting a better role for a movie or for a show that could be up for contention for an Oscar. Like most of these people have that mindset. They really do. So overall, uh, free Jesse. Uh, kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> now, overall, uh, Oscars went woke again. And once you go woke, you go broke. Uh, maybe not so much the case this Oscars. I think after seeing the Twitter reaction to Will Smith, Chris Rock, I definitely do think they had an up, uptick on ratings. But I, I think it's only because of that reason and that reason alone. But if it wasn't for if it wasn't for that, I think you would see like the lowest rated Oscars ever. I really do. Uh, but yeah, that's that's overall my thoughts and opinions on the Oscars sort of debacle situation, if you will, the woke situation. And again, you know, once you go woke, you go broke, you know, I mean, you know, there are times where people go woke and I'm like, wow, you'll be broke. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I, I, I don't know why I, I had I said that with that inflection, but whatever. Uh, that's what it comes down to, essentially. All right. So we talked about enough about the Oscars. Uh, let's talk about something outside of the Oscars, something outside of show business, something outside of the television world. Bill Maher praised Vladimir Zelensky, and I'm just getting this from TMZ. So Bill Maher, Zelensky proves a little masculinity is good and sexy. Uh, Bill Maher is questioning his sexuality as we speak. Uh, Bill Maher went in hard on toxic masculinity, saying Vladimir Zelensky is a prime example of be careful what you wish for. Nope, Maher's not trashing the Ukrainian prez. Quite the opposite, he says Zelensky is living proof women actually want some of that masculinity in their men. He points to various polls and social media with an undeniable conclusion. Women and some men find him incredibly hot. Uh, oh my god, this is the queerest thing I've ever said on the podcast. And I've said some queer stuff on this podcast, I'm not going to lie, I've said some queer stuff. But this is the most queer thing I've ever talked about on this podcast, and I highly, highly regret it. Uh, but let's Go further into the article, if you will. Uh, as the real-time host puts it, the lesson from the war, from this war is that the world needs grown-ass men. All right, uh, Bill Maher. I liked Bill Maher. I did. I had a phase in high school where I did like Bill, Bill Maher. And I sort of like Bill Maher in bits and pieces. I'm not the biggest fan of Bill Maher, but I do like him in bits and pieces. This is one of those bits and pieces where I just don't like him. Uh, but I do like him in bits and pieces, especially when he goes up to like the woke issues and whatnot uh, that liberals within his sort of sector sort of discuss. So that instance, I do like him. And when he stands up for comedy, I do like him. When he stands up for jokes and for joke writing and whatnot, I like him for that. I think he's great for that. Uh, for this, it's a little too much. And it comes from the uh, my mindset and from my opinion that I don't like this trend where we view politicians as superheroes. And it might have started with Fauci and with Cuomo, but it's sort of now cycled and sort of parlayed into Vladimir Zelensky and his fight with Russia. And I don't like this idea or this mentality where we view politicians as superheroes because they're malleable. They have they will make mistakes. And the more you hoist these politicians up as these martyrs or these you know, sort of messiah-like figures, the harder they come crashing down. You know, I mean, that's an NERD song. You know, sooner or later, it all comes crashing down. And at some point, Vladimir Zelensky will not be viewed as this beacon of hope as we like to view him as, as of this moment in time. 
obviously, if you watch this podcast, you know my opinion on Vladimir Zelensky uh, and on Ukraine. We should support the Ukrainians, you know, be very mindful and skeptical of the Ukrainian government, but very supportive of the people uh, of Ukrainians that are currently in this war zone. You know, we have to give our deepest thoughts and, you know, help the best we can, the best way we can for Ukrainians, but always be mindful and skeptical of governments. You know, all governments are evil. That's, if anything, with this topic, all governments are evil. So be mindful and skeptical of governments and politicians, but always give a lending hand for Ukrainians. I almost got choked up when I said that. Uh, but again, you know, understand that at the end of the day, politicians are sleazebags. You know, they lie for a living. They will literally look you dead in the eye and say one thing and do the exact opposite. So understand that Vladimir Zelensky is no different. You know, he is a person that will lie if it means him currying favor for NATO and for the government, for Ukraine. So again, it's very, very important to not view, you know, people in power as as you know these superheroes but again i i wouldn't look anywhere with bill maher because this is the same guy bill maher is the same guy that was like actively thinking that michael avenatti should run for president the guy that was the lawyer for stormy daniels that cheated her out of money and embezzled her out of money and is now in jail right like bill maher was trying to ride for michael avenatti he was trying to make Michael Avenatti run for president. Like, this is the dude that said that. You know, like, this is the dude that got schooled by Steve Bannon on his own show, right? Like, when Steve Bannon went up there and said he sided with Bernie on a lot of issues, and while he didn't really uh, agree with him, he sort of understood where he was. And, I mean, the way that he was sort of able to dissect Bill Maher, like Steve Bannon, the way that he was able to sort of dissect Bill Maher and, and sort of own his audience, I've never seen anything like that. And I say this as a dude that like likes Bill Maher in bits and pieces. I don't want to be overly like trashing Bill Maher. I get it. You know, he's a he's a you know centrist neoliberal through and through. I get it. But again, you know, times like that, it makes you think that okay, like maybe we shouldn't always take him for his word. You know, like I feel like he sort of plays with the camera a bit. You know, when he was like talking about Russia hacking people's elections, I'm like. Bill, you're way too smart for this. Like, you graduated from Cornell. You go after the woke issues a lot. You're great on that. You know, you're you're way too smart to think Russia hacked our elections. You're way too smart to think Russiagate is a possibility. It wasn't, and we it's been proven that it wasn't. So, again, you know, this is, I mean, well, I mean, I don't know. Bill Maher... I mean, let's be honest here. I think masculinity, to me, it is what it is. You know, I mean, generally speaking, masculinity is quite good. You know, I mean, you should be normal and comfortable in your own skin. And if it means you liking, I don't know, hunting or fishing or anything that's considered masculine, then that's great. You know, I think that's 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 fine. You know, if you're if you're into that, and, and there should be nobody telling you otherwise. You know, if you're into, you know starting up a campfire i mean i don't know if that's a masculine thing i mean if anything that's kind of feminine like starting up a campfire might be the most feminine thing ever if you really think about it you know just you with your boys you know toasting marshmallows i mean that's kind of feminine if you really think about it but i mean again 
masculinity it is what it is you know i mean i don't know if vladimir Zelensky is the core definition of masculinity uh i i mean if if i had to like think of somebody who's like very masculine and like the definition of masculinity uh i mean maybe fight for like maybe some person some civil rights leader like maybe fred hampton i would say like that's the that's like what i would think of like masculinity i would think of fred hampton i would think of those individuals that you know were killed by like the fbi and cia and what whatnot um so that those were the people that i would consider you know to be like i mean castro i mean was definitely masculine like fidel castro was the core ethos of masculinity yeah i don't like i mean i have no stake in fidel castro i don't i mean first of all not only did he like mess with margaret trudeau but also like the amount of times that he went to the united states even though they were trying to assassinate him and like attempted a regime change i mean you got you have to admire the balls with fidel castro like you have to i say this as a person that does not like his politics whatsoever but you have to admire the gusto behind fidel castro you really do. Uh, and those are the individuals that I would view as like masculinity, like personified. Trump, kind of masculine, not going to lie. I mean, the fact that he was able to go out to the mainstream media, quite masculine. Now, obviously, he was a butt boy for Israel and for the Israel lobby for four years, and he did nothing in office. But, you know, going out to the mainstream media, quite masculine. Um, so maybe Zelensky is in that. If I can include Trump, then obviously Zelensky I, I should include Zelensky as a masculine dude. But again, my point still stands. I don't think we should view politicians, politicians as superheroes because at some point or another, they're going, to, they're going to disappoint you. At some point or another, they will disappoint you. And it's very, very important to make sure that you don't view these individuals dogmatically. They always have a skeptical eye on them. And if you're able to do that, then you're able to understand the modern political game as a whole so again i don't know my high school years were not the best uh not only did i have an okay gpa i, I mean i didn't have the best gpa it wasn't like the best but it was okay adequate decent uh but my high school years were crazy to say the least because i was into, into the weirdest things like i was into ben shapiro when i was in high school i was i was you know I had a I had a libertarian phase in high school. I'm not I'm not that proud to admit it. You know, nothing against libertarianism, but I, I did have a libertarian phase in high school, uh, and that was sort of like my way of like going after things and whatnot. I was more into the culture war aesthetic. That's why I liked Bill Maher. That's why I liked when I saw Ben Shapiro roast college kids and college students. As I've grown older, I sort of had a different view on all that. But in in high school, I ate all that up. You know, like I would like literally sit down and like watch Bill Maher as if it was like a sporting event. Like I would, I would brace myself for like Friday at like 10 p.m. just watching Bill Maher and watching the YouTube clips afterwards and like dissecting and whatnot. Like I was a nerd when it came to like Bill Maher's show. I'm not proud to admit that. I'm really not like at all. But in high school, like that's what I would do. Like like that. Like for a lot. Like for Tim Dillon, he loved he loved Alex Jones. You know, he still does, but, you know, he would fall asleep to listening to Alex Jones ramble about the deep state. For me, it was, you know, sleeping to Bill Maher discussing trans bathrooms, you know, like that and talking about radical Islam. Like, that's what I was like getting my like beak wet over. You know, it was, it was him inviting Sam Harris to debate Ben Affleck over radical Islam. 
you know that's what I, that's what made me the hard honestly uh that but uh yeah i'm not proud to admit it i'm not proud to admit that's that's what i did in high school because that tells you everything you need to know about me in high school but that's what i liked in high school now obviously i've changed i like to think that i'm more uh wise more sort of understanding and cognizant of the political world uh and hopefully people understand that i can sit see right through people like in terms of the political realm and and politicians and whatnot and and uh that's that comes with just getting older and realizing that nothing's going to change you know i mean think about what's changed in the past 15 20 years nothing i mean the poor continue to language while the rich eat um there's still forever wars nothing's changed in the past 20 30 years at all so that just to give you a little bit of a happy note to end that on so uh let's get into my weekly pick shall we so each and every week i recommend a book a piece of art a film that i really enjoy this week i will be recommending kanye west genius documentary so if you haven't watched it on netflix three parts three acts where basically it's a documentary of kanye west detailing his trials and tribulations from being a uh, chicago-based producer to being this grammy award-winning rapper billionaire artist if you will and it's basically a, a documentary of all that it's directed by cootie and chike but uh, more importantly it shows footage from cootie simpson I, I think his name is cootie simpson i want to get his name right uh yeah cootie simpson so yeah it, it comes from cootie simmons oh, cootie simmons uh yes cootie simmons and it details cootie simmons time with kanye west during his early years in chicago to the college dropout and to his latter half of the year of his career which is kitsy ghost and donda and just overall his approach to everything and how he's able to be one of the best artists of all time if if it may if i may say so myself uh so yes i really enjoyed it it sort of definitely had moments where i'm like okay this is a little not that important you know and in times where i really wanted to learn more about kanye west uh it's not the best doc- documentary i think we'll we will get a better docu- documentary about kanye west in the future uh but it did its job and the, my only gripe with the documentary is that it de- it felt like it skimmed over the graduation 808s and heartbreaks my beautiful dark twisted fantasy and yeezus era of kanye which in my personal opinion is my favorite uh part of kanye uh my two favorite albums of kanye are 808s and heartbreaks and my beautiful dark twisted fantasy those two albums i can listen to on repeat and never get mad over and never get sick of it it is those two albums if you haven't checked it already go check it out they're my beautiful dark twisted fantasy is like top 10 top 10 album of all time it really is it should be up there with zeppelin led zeppelin 3 it should it should be up there with uh the beatles you know abbey road uh red hot uh you know sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club it should be up there with Nevermind. it's one of the best albums of all time it really is uh but yes i wish they'd spend more time talking about that um and what i realized is that with, while watching this documentary is that kanye was always this ego was always this egomaniac like this is this is not nothing new like he was always this egomaniac there's one point in the documentary where kanye west talks with some chicago rapper and he was telling the Chicago rapper that he's a genius. 
And the Chicago rapper was like, no, you're not a genius. I think this was at the beginning of Act 3, where he's like, no, you're not a genius. Jay-Z, he's a genius. But you're, you still have a lot to work out on. You know, you're a very talented producer, rapper, but you, you're not by any means a genius. Other people have to say you're a genius. You yourself cannot say you're a genius. And what I realized is that Kanye was always this dude. Uh, fame sort of exacerbated it. And obviously his mother's death obviously did play a role in him, you know, crafting, crafting and creating this persona of Yeezy. But he was always this egomaniac. He was always this dude that was full of himself. A dude that had bravado, if you will. And that's fine. I think as an artist, you should have that. But he was always that dude. And uh, that that was sort of evident with his documentary. And more importantly, like what I learned about Kanye West is is uh, just that he's surrounded by a lot of yes-men. I mean, if you saw that manic episode that he had with those two real estate developers in Act 3, like he was just rambling on and on and on incoherently. And those two like sort of wealthy, you know, real estate magnets were like just, you know, sort of like, I wouldn't like stroking his, you know, you, you know, stroking his dingling and whatnot and it, it did it didn't feel right when i was watching it so yeah i mean that's what i realized that he was always this dude you know he was always this dude um and i, I don't blame him for it i mean he's really really talented i mean some of the instrumentals and beats and production is it's like a film score you know when you listen to some kanye tracks it's like you're listening to like i don't even want to say like Hans zimmer like it's, it's just so theatrical you know it's very sort of Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross sort of sort of feel to it. You know, when you look when you listen to Yeezus, I mean it sounds like nine inch nails meets death grips. You know, I mean when you listen to some of that early production, I mean, he really changed hip hop production for the better. I mean, who knew adding strings would increase the quality of a hip hop track? You know, he really changed the way hip hop production was through sampling. So genius documentary, go watch if you haven't already. Great documentary. Again, there are problems with it, you know, uh, them skipping over graduation and whatnot. Again, I understand Cootie Simpson was not, Sim Cootie Simmons was not there during that time. But again, go watch if you haven't already. Good documentary. And hopefully there's an even better documentary on Kanye West in the future. All right, so I think that's all the time I have for today. So guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you subscribe to both my podcast channel and my podcast clips channel. Make sure you follow me on Instagram and Twitter at OJTucker, A-J-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R on both my Instagram and Twitter with an underscore at the end. Forgot the underscore at the end. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on my iTunes and Spotify page. And most importantly, make sure you spread this through word of mouth and through your whatsapp group chat group text the group text and whatsapp will be the death of me and will be the death of this podcast so make sure you spread it through word of mouth it's very very important that you at least tell one person about this podcast just spread it through word of mouth if they like it they may like it so guys thank you so much for watching thank you so much for watching thank you so much for listening i will definitely be talking about the miami open i'm very very sorry about the lack of tennis news and tennis topics for today but again there was a lot of news in the political entertainment world, so might as well talk about it. So, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you guys on Thursday. We'll talk about more about the Miami Open and things about our political and societal realm as well. All right, guys, peace. See you all.